Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. All right, all right. Well, good morning, Sand Hills. All right, so it's eleven o'clock. We've had a lot of downtime here, so I got to make sure you're you're ready. All right, we need you. To, I need you to get together. Come on, let's do it. We're talking about the Word of God. That's amazing stuff. So, amen, amen. Oh, we got to do what we can just to get you all lively. Uh, but I'm excited about this week. I'm uh, pumped about this. We're still in the book of 1 Samuel. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 26 today. And, uh, and several people have asked me, what are we going to be studying after 1 Samuel? So after 1 Samuel, I think the next logical book is 2 Samuel. Uh, we're going to do that. But we will pause for Christmas. And uh, you got to do that. So I had a friend of mine years ago. He was preaching through the book of Esther, and as he's going through the book of Esther, it was December time, and he and I were talking, and I said, hey, when are you going to start preaching your Christmas messages? And uh, he said, oh, he said, you know what, I've just decided, I'm just going to stay in the book of Esther. Like, you know, people know about the birth of Christ, Christians know about that, they don't need me to bring it up, I'm just going to stay in Esther. I was like, are you sure you want to stay with just Esther? And he did. The, the Christmas service was, it was just Esther. And uh, he got a lot of emails after that. And, uh, so, and I don't think he's done it since. So uh, 25 years has been good to him. So anyway, but uh, we're going to stop for that, but then we'll jump back in uh, after that. It'll be some fun. So if you've got your Bibles handy, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 26. Uh, well, I love this. This is a journey on a study of, of, of how do you stay as a godly man focused on the Lord when somebody's out to get you. And in David's case... The one out to get him was actually out to kill him. So, you know, you can complain about the difficulties you have in life. Probably somebody's not trying to kill you. Uh, but we will find some uh, things that encourage us today, things that will um, affect us. Because even though, hopefully, nobody's trying to kill us, there are people in our lives who from time to time continue to offend. They're repeat offenders. Uh, and for some of us, maybe you're the repeat offender. We'll find out before the the day is out today. But uh, as we've been going along in our story, we just finished chapter 25. Chapter 25 was great. This is where David uh, had a tendency to lean towards some of his sinful behavior. So here's the struggle with David. So we, and maybe I'm speaking for everybody, but, but we tend to think of David in very high and noble terms, and we should. And uh, we know that David struggled with sin, right? He had a couple big ones, adultery and murder. Those those are two pretty big ones. Uh, but we will all say, you know, he's a, he's a man after God's own heart. And, uh, and then we have this idea that, like, I hope I'm like that. I hope, that, I'm not trying to kill people, but like this idea that I hope that I'm a person after God's own heart, and I hope he would say that despite the fact that from time to time, I too struggle with sin, which is great. And it's okay to hold on to that and to identify with that a little bit, just so long as we never get to the point where we are justifying sin or making light of sin because God doesn't and Jesus died for it. So it's legit. So let's make sure we, we understand how, how bad things can be. But in chapter 25, David was spared from his sin uh, by a wonderful woman. And uh, by God's grace, many of us men have been kept from more serious sin by godly women in our lives. But that was the case, and uh, he also ended up with a, a beautiful wife out of it as well. So praise the Lord. Uh, all right, but moving on now to chapter 26. Chapter 26 of 1 Samuel is going to be the same kind of stuff we've been hitting. If you've been studying the book of Samuel with us, 1 Samuel, it's the same. We're going to have the same kind of Ziphites, the same David, the same Saul. Before we're done today, they're all going to be the same. So let's start today. Let's look at these Ziphites. These are the same self-seeking, favor-seeking Ziphites, uh, chapter 26. Chapter 26. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakilah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? 
So Saul arose and he went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hekilah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. All right, so the Ziphites. Now, the Ziphites you may be familiar with. Maybe you remember them a little bit. The Ziphites showed up in chapter 23, and they also told on David, again, telling Saul, like, hey, he's here, come get him. Uh, So this is crazy. What we know about David and his men, David is in hiding in the countryside with about 600 trained soldiers. And these these soldiers are tough. Like they have been through a lot of battles. They've seen a lot of war. These are seasoned mercenaries. But, but here's the thing about these soldiers. Like they're, they're kind, they're generous, they're helpful, they're nice, except when they don't have to be. Like then they're, then they're crazy. But like you would think, if, if I told you, I'm gonna put 600 good armed soldiers around your house at all times, I think you'd be like, I'm, I'm digging that. Like, I feel pretty safe. I can go out at night. It's all good, right? But for whatever reason, the Ziphites care more about the favor of the king than they do um, about David. And so they give him up and they, they say this. Now, here's the thing about uh, Saul. Now, Saul, most recently, we, when we saw him and David interact, Saul was quite literally caught with his pants down. And uh, David had the opportunity to kill him if he wanted and David withheld. And when Saul was confronted with that, Saul said, oh, wow, you're, you're more righteous than me. Forgive me. I'm a knucklehead. You're great. God's good. It's all good. You're safe. Moving on. And we would like to think that like, okay, okay. He meant it. Saul meant it. He's not going to repeat the same mistakes again. Um, and, and let me just remind you of this in case you need to know. Unrighteous people can't be trusted. Unrighteous people. And here's the thing. I don't know why it keeps surprising us. It keeps surprising us because like you have people in your life who don't love the Lord and they hurt you or they offend you and then you confront them or you deal with it and they're like, I'm sorry, you know, so you fix it and then they do it again. Okay, stop being surprised when unrighteous people act unrighteous, right? It's like, like people who yell at the news. Like what do you expect of people in the world? Like, like are you expecting better? Seriously? You've been alive a little while. You expecting better? Like, no, they're the same. So the next time you see it at the news, just go, the same, the same, the same. Like even like this horrible thing going on with the, the war in Israel right now. I'm looking at that, I'm going, this, like literally the same. Like Israel's history, if you study it, I've read the Bible, right? It's the, it's the same, over and over again. Same, wicked people doing evil things. That's just over and over again. So that's what's going on here. Uh, let's just stop being surprised. All right, let's go to verse six. Now, verse six, we're gonna see David. David's gonna begin to interact. And this is the same David, the same David of faith, the same David of trust. So then David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Joab's brother, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp of Saul? All right, so just pause for a second there. All right, so David hears that Saul's out to get him. And normally what David has done is he's gathered his men and he's just gone the opposite direction. And this time David's got a new strategy. He's like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go down into that camp. So previously, we saw this in the first five verses, where David hears that Saul's out to get him. He sneaks over, looks, and sees the whole setup, how the camp's laid out, what's going on, the position of Saul, uh, the position of Abner. Uh, And so he comes back, and he goes to two men, and he says to these two men, I need one of y'all to go with me. 
And so now understand what he wants to do. He wants to sneak into the heart of the camp to confront Saul in some way. So he's asked which of these men would like to join him. Now you understand this is a suicide mission. <laughs> like the reason Saul is there is to kill David and wipe out his men. There are 3,000 of Saul's special forces there to kill them. They have 600. They're strong. It's not quite 3,000. I, I just want one guy to go with me. So David wants to take one guy with him. How long do you think those guys debated about who would go? Like, I was like, if I'm there and David's like, which one of you two will go with me on this, you know, life-ending mission? And you're like, ah. Like, I thought you were going to say something, brother. I don't want to, I heard you, did you grunt? I thought you grunted or something. You go, I don't, I don't want to take your glory. You guys take the, I don't, I was good. You know, like, I mean, I can see this playing out. But here's the thing. So we're, we're told about this guy, Ahimelech the Hittite. All right, we don't know anything about Ahimelech prior to this time. And you will never hear his name after this time in the Bible. It just doesn't show up. So the, the thought is that Ahimelech may be some sort of hired gun that's working with David right now. The difference, though, is that Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, so Zeruiah is David's sister. So this makes Abishai his nephew. And so, you know, when, when David comes up and he's like, which one of you go with me? You know, Abishai is going like, oh, man, like, I got to go. It's my, it's my, I can't say no to Uncle David. Like, ah. Uh, I'll go, you know, how enthusiastic was his, like, let's get him, you know, like, so the two of them go, all right, so he's got, he's got his boy, this is what goes on, Abishai said, I will go down with you, verse seven, so David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him, then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. And David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. All right. Why are you talking? What are you doing? They all want to kill you. You're having a conversation standing at the head of the cave. Like, I've never tried to sneak up on sleeping soldiers who want to kill me. But I can't imagine that when I get into the middle of all of them with the lead guy at my feet, I'd start a conversation with the dude with me. Hey, what do you think? Should we kill him right now? God's giving him into your hand. I'd be like, shut up. Stop talking. Shush, shush. And David's like, you know, now's a good time for a monologue. You see, when God wants to take someone's life, I'd be like, Oh my gosh, what are you doing? Like, where are the, this is such a chaotic and crazy moment. So like, but there's a, re, there's a reason, but let me, let's read the reason, then we're gonna come back to this. So verse 12, so David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any wake for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Uh, but here's the thing. They didn't know that. Like, we don't have any evidence that David knew in advance that, oh, I'm gonna put him into a deep sleep. This is just, God is so nice. He's like, these knuckleheads are gonna talk and ruin the whole thing. Like, I have to shut everybody down. So God's like, just put them into a deep sleep because they're gonna have a full-on conversation with a debate right there in front of the, this is a crazy moment. And so then they go and they're like, I got, we're gonna, we're gonna take the spear and we'll take the water jar. And like, like how are you gonna, 
Have you ever tried to carry water quietly, like in a jar with a spear? You know, like this is just such a nightmare waiting to happen. So they do this. And then, so they grab the spear. And I'm just wondering for a moment, just for a moment, if David didn't take that spear and go, hmm, like, I'm right here. You know, <laughs> this does make sense. Like we could end the whole thing right now. But if you do that, then you have 3,000 men to deal with. So let's just resolve ourselves to what God said. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you just turn to Abishai. Abishai, you carry the water. You're like, why am I carrying the water? You know, so anyway, they get out of here. They go, they go across the way. And this is, this is what we read, verse 13. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on the top of the hill with a great space between them. All right, so this is, this is wise. And David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, will you not answer Abner? Then Abner answered, who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your Lord. So he stops, he says this. He says, hey, listen, hey, hey. and I love this idea that, hey, Abner, wake up, you know? And then, you know, this is, again, 3,000 soldiers that are there to kill them. Now, I know God put them on whatever sleep drug he put them on, but now they're all awake and probably all reaching for their weapons, trying to figure out what's going on. It's kind of a little panic moment. They all stir, and Abner shouts out, like, who is that? Who's calling out to the king? And so David says, Abner, I got a question. Are you not, like, the most privileged dude in all of Israel? You're the right-hand man to the king. Nobody has got the perks that you've got. You have one job, Abner. You protect the king. That's your, that's your role, one job. And, so, and then he wants to unpack it for him a little bit. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. I know this is the first time they probably thought about that. Now, it may have been that Saul jumps up, because they're talking now, Saul jumps up, probably looks for a spear, maybe, but it's, you know, who knows, dark maybe. He's like, you know, I don't know where he's, like, okay, stop, what's going on? Goes to engage it. And then they hear this comment, why don't you look for that spear that was near the king's head? Why don't you look for his jar of water? And it's at that moment where Saul probably looks around, doesn't see either of those things, and his next look is Abner. Like, what have you, this whole idea that you deserve to die, Abner is most likely going to die. <laughs> like, like, you have just failed in the one job that you have. But this is interesting too. So when David's chastising Abner, he changes the way he's addressing. And uh, when he goes to address, he, he takes on a Southernese version of this. And so when he says, this thing you've done is not good, you deserve to die, he changes the you in the Hebrew to y'all. Uh, so if you go look at the Hebrew, it's a plural. So the idea is he's saying like, Abner, you have failed. And if I could just address all you soldiers, you all are so bad at your jobs, you all deserve to die. It's like, you know, King Saul, you should start over, wipe out these, uh, you know, 3,000 and start with a fresh three because these are no good at all. You guys have failed at your jobs. So he's just publicly chastised everyone, which actually is kind of a, a beautiful scene. But either way, uh, then you get to, to verse 17. So when you get to verse 17, now we're gonna encounter the same Saul, the same Saul of fickle heart who's all about you know, his own thing. All right, verse 17. Saul recognized David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son David? All right, now we saw this previously at the cave, at the cave when Saul had departed and, and David calls out to him. So there's this, this interaction using the words father and son. 
And now in Hebrew culture of that day, often used to delineate between people of position and authority and people submissive. And so the father would be the one in charge, the son, regardless of actual relationship, you could, that was language they would use. But in this case, literally it's true that David technically is still the son-in-law of the king married to Michael, his wife, who we have not seen in a while. We will we'll see again eventually, uh, but we haven't seen her in a while. So technically still true, but this is kind of the, in, the interplay. But listen to David's response. And David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. So here's, here's David being pursued by an unrighteous man, wants to take his life, and still takes the high road. Still refers to him in very kind, very honoring ways. It is my vo voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. So David's just, he's shouting out to them, and he says, listen, if I have so offended the Lord that he's using you to discipline me, like that, that's all right. I just need to know so that I can make an offering to the Lord and make it right. But if unrighteous men have stirred you up, now David knows that the unrighteous man that stirred everybody up is actually Saul himself. He's just being nice. So it's like if an unrighteous man or unrighteous men have stirred you up, then may they be cursed because what they're trying to do is they're trying to kick me out of my inheritance. I am Jewish by heritage. This land is mine by God's sovereign decree. Don't kick me off of my land and make me go worship other gods. Because the thought would be like if you lived in another land, whatever land in which you lived, you would worship the gods of that land. So that's what he's saying. You boot me out of here, I lose my inheritance, and you want me what, go worship other gods? Like I'm not gonna do that. Don't kick me out of here. Now, therefore, verse 20, now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. So David's just like, king, what are you doing? Run your country. Do some diplomacy. Engage with other nations. Why are you pursuing one man out of this selfish desire? What are you doing? Like, don't do that. Get back to what you're doing. You don't have to fear me. Just go back and, you know, run the country. Do the thing you're supposed to do as king. This is, this is just foolhardy. So this is kind of his uh, rebuke of the king. Verse 21. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. Oh, yay, Saul repented. Oh, David is safe. Like, like this is the same thing he says over and over again. And I guarantee you in the mind of David, you would pause David right now and go, oh, Saul just, he said he's sorry, he repents that you're, you're okay now. David would be like, I'm not okay. Like, this is it. We're gonna do this again. We'll probably do it several times. God will protect. He'll deliver. I'll have to show him up again. I'll have to forgive him again, not kill him again. So that's probably what's in David's mind right now. But as it would turn out, and David doesn't know this yet, but this actually will be the last time they meet because the judgment that David said God would bring, God is going to bring. And it will be at the hands of an enemy army that will take the life of Saul, but he doesn't. He didn't know that yet. Um, verse 22, and David answered and said, here is the spear, O king. 
Let one of the young men come over and take it. So this is funny to me. Like, so now you've got his spear, you've got his water pot, and you're like, I'll tell you what, send one of the young men, don't send a soldier, send one of the armor-bearing young men over and I'll give you your spear back. Like, why are you giving him a spear back? He does not deserve this spear. Like, he's been bad with it. He's no good with it. He wants to put it in you. Like, I would just be like, you know what? I'm keeping this. You can't have it back. You've been naughty. I'm not, I don't want to give this back to you so you can come seek my life. I'd, I'd keep it. But David is just really taking the high road here. Uh, so send one of your little guys over. I'll give it to them. And then he makes this comment. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. So now this is interesting. He says, here's the deal, Saul. I treated you like I want the Lord to treat me. That's what I hope God sees. Now, this strikes me as interesting, too, because of our Lord's prayer that we pray so often. Because we pray that God will forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. And so this idea is I want from God what I'm extending to others, which is actually, it's, it's a beautiful thing and still, it's still a part of how we want to live to this day. Then Saul said to David, blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. All right, so this is one of those things where you look at this and you're like, all right, this is an interesting story. I mean, it's historical narrative. This is given to us. But here's the thing I want to keep reminding ourselves. Like, like this is the same God who still deals with his people in the same way. Now, granted, we're in different, different circumstances. None of us here is, is scheduled to be king as far as we know. But, uh, but God is doing something. So let's go back to this idea of lessons learned. What can we learn as we study this? And I would say there's a difference between the suffering of Saul and the suffering of David. Now, there's some suffering that is like the suffering of Saul that is because we are foolish and sinful and the suffering we're going through is self-induced. So, I mean, it's always a good question to ask is, is the thing I'm going through, the thing that's bringing me pain right now, did I do it to myself? <laughs> did I do it to myself? Is there something I did that has caused all this pain in my life? Now, other suffering, like the suffering of David, is because we live in a broken world filled with sinful people and they continue to hurt us. And so in that case, we would pray for patience and we would put our trust in the Lord that he will uh, deliver us out of the circumstance. Um, but I, I, I want to know, I gotta need to make a note here. It's really important. Please, please notice that, that even, and this is prior to when Saul said, I'm so sorry, you're right, I'm wrong, you're great. Like David did not seek to stay with Saul. Like when Saul said, I'm sorry, he didn't be like, well, that's cool, I'll just hang out here then. We're all good now. He, didn't, he got himself as far away from Saul as possible. And the reason I say this is um, a few weeks ago, a woman had asked me, um, she said, you know, would, would a battered wife, is she supposed to stay with her husband trusting God in that circumstance? And I'd be like, oh, no, if there's abuse going on, you need to leave. Like, you've, you've got you to get safe. Um, you, don't, you don't stay in that uh, circumstance. Um, get out of there and, and get some help. Um, so no, you, don't have to, you don't have to stay around the person if it's by your choice. Um, you, know, you don't want to be tortured or tormented or in danger physically. Um, but David, David had to learn some things. So David has to learn to live by faith in the midst of this. And, and, and sadly, because he has to endure this person chasing him, it has actually caused him significant pain. So over and over, because of Saul, he suffers. 
And uh, even as he waits for the judgment of God upon him. So this is crazy to me. So like David's life is upended seriously. Like David's been on the run for a long time. And so he has no place that he can call home. He has no house. He has no steady income. He didn't have steady food on his table. He sleeps outside a ton. I mean, this is, this is not a glorious life he's living. And here he is at the end of the day going, I thought I was anointed to be king. Like, what's going on here? Like, do you think he ever laid in bed staring up at the stars going, God, what the heck is going on? See, here's the thing. At this moment, David is ignorant of all of the incredible blessings God's about to bring him. And he's about to bring him a ton. David just doesn't know the rest of his story. And so if I could pause there for a moment and go, do you think maybe we complain too much to God because we don't yet know the rest of our own story? Like, I do wonder if we would just stop complaining for a bit and just say, okay, I know you get frustrated from time to time. Okay, can you just swallow that? Let's make it to the end of life and then figure out if we have any reason to complain to God. Yeah, because <laughs> I guarantee you what would happen is we get to the end of life and go like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> like God was doing all this great stuff and I just didn't see it. If I'd have just held on a little bit longer, if I just trusted him a little bit more, all of this blessing was ahead of me. All I could see though was my difficulty and pain. So this is where we gotta, we gotta take this pause moment and just realize God has bigger stuff going on. Now, if, if you're still suffering at the hands of unrighteous people, let me remind you of some words you need to hear because I don't ever want you to think that people get away with it. Nobody ever gets away with any of their sin. Hebrews chapter 10 reminds us of this. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, as you read that, you probably think, okay, like there's a number of people in my life or in this world that I'm like, yeah, you better remember that. But we need to remember that too because aren't we also worthy of the wrath of God? but for the grace of Christ. So it's this one thing where we're like wishing this vengeance on others, but, but we're wanting for them something we have desperately uh, not wanted for ourselves and been able to elude because of Christ. And so I would say this, when you have a legitimate enemy, like, a, like a, just a bad person in your life, let's not pray for the vengeance of God. He takes care of that. That's his deal. Let's, let's not pray for that. Let's pray for redemption. Let's pray that they would be rescued from the miserable person they have become and brought into the light of Christ, that they would be finally fulfilled in this world, maybe even reconciled to us, but at the very least, uh, that they would not suffer for eternity because of what they're doing. So um, let's trust God with that, but let's make sure we have an appropriate opinion. Now, what if, you, though, you're Saul? What if you're Saul? What if you're the offender, that your actions keep wounding people? All right. Um, so, and this can happen inside of Christ and outside of Christ. So, like, it legitimately... People who are unrighteous act unrighteous. Like, it, it could be, like, if they're a habitual offender, if you're a habitual offender, first I would just ask, do you know the Lord? Like, have you come to the point where you've put your faith in Jesus? You know that he died for you, rose from the dead to pay the, the, the consequence of your sin so that now you could be at peace with God and peace inside, uh, peace with other men because of the grace of Christ. Like, that would be the first thing. But it's not, it's not unnatural for, for somebody who's walking with the Lord to fall into sinful habits from time to time. And so for those of us that might occasionally dip our toe in the, the Saul pool, um, the one thing I would say is just like, you need to just own your sin. Just own it. Like I, my struggle with us is that a lot of times we get into ego protecting, we become defensive, uh, we try to gloss over our image. And so it becomes like this. Somebody confronts you and they say that your sin has hurt me. 
And the immediate thing you go into is protecting and defending yourself. And it's like, hey, listen, if you hadn't done this or he or she hadn't done that or circumstances, you know, it's like, it's like everybody's to blame except for you, you know? Or you, you say the phrase that is just so comical to me. Like, listen, nobody is more disappointed in me than I am, right? So now everybody's against you, including you. Like that, you don't get to do, like you're the offender. Like you don't, you don't get to do that. So I've had this actually recently where I was talking to somebody about their sin and I confront them, said this going on and immediately into defense mode. Like I didn't, and if you hadn't and she wouldn't have, then we would, you know, like all this stuff. And I said, what I wanted to do in that moment is I just wanted to call a timeout and go, okay, okay, stop, 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 stop. I tell you what, I'm gonna leave the room and I'm gonna let you reset and I'm gonna come back in, let's do this again. Like, because it would be great if after all that, we stop, we pause, I come back in, and I just give him a, a do-over. I'll walk in like, hey, brother, hey, you actually have kind of sinned uh, against me. And then they would go, I'm an idiot. I'm so sorry. God is good. Please forgive me. Grace of Christ covers this. I want you to forgive me. Like, if, like, we could just start over. Like, because this is just so, it's just satisfying. Because like, I'm not trying to get something over on somebody. I just want you to walk with the Lord. But I want you to walk with, in the, with the Lord in such a way, you're not hurting me and other people. And if you'll just own it, I'll, I'll, I'll acknowledge with you. I have my own stuff. And by God's grace, I overcome that. And if you see me blow it, confront me. And in the meantime, let's show each other grace. But let's not act like we haven't done anything. Let's own our sin and embrace it. Uh, we're taking back to 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9, really powerful for us. If we can, I memorized this long ago. You should memorize this too. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So 1 John 1, 9, this is what you need to know about this and what I think makes it so powerful. It was written to the church. This was written to Christians. This was not written to, to unrighteous people. This is John speaking to us going, listen guys, you even as you walk with Christ will continue to blow it from time to time. When you do, confess your sins to the Lord. But isn't it easier to confess to the Lord than to other people? Because like if I speak to God about it, he doesn't answer back. You know, I just be like, God, I blew it. And God's like, yeah, you did. But, but you don't ever hear that, right? It's just kind of like, it's out there. But if I say something to you and I'm like, hey, I have sinned against you. I mean, you might respond. Like, yeah, you're an idiot. What were you doing? Why would you do? And then you got to deal with all that. It's messy and people are messy and I don't want mess and I don't want to deal with it. Just leave me alone. You know, like this is the struggle with sin. And, and so let's, let's just pause and be reminded. Jesus has forgiven us so much, but sometimes we still need that forgiveness from other people, and sometimes we have to extend it to people that we normally wouldn't want to forgive, and this is the difficult thing with, with walking with Jesus. Um, so let's pause for a minute. Just bow your heads with me. Bow your heads with me. Let me ask you this question between you and the Lord. Are you a Saul? Have you been offending somebody consistently or wounding anybody in your world, even occasionally? that maybe God just wants to deal with that right now? Like if there's something inside you right now where you know the Lord is putting his finger on something, I just wanna ask, would you, would you begin to deal with that today? I don't mean just asking the Lord's forgiveness, I mean dealing with the person that you're wounding. And without trying to gloss over and without trying to protect your image or your ego, would you just confess that you've blown it? Ask their forgiveness and seek the Lord's strength to, to not do that stuff again. But then to those who are Davids, who have been offended, who've been wounded by this world and unrighteous people, can you just trust the Lord with that? I know it's painful and it hurts, 
But I guarantee you, you have no idea the blessing that God has for you on the other side of this. Let's just trust him with that. Father, thank you for this moment today to interact with your scripture, to be reminded that in your sovereignty, you are in control of all things, but you allow us to live the lives that are put before us as we interact and respond to people. Lord, sometimes we are the Saul. Sometimes we're the jerk. Sometimes we're the wounder. Uh, But other times, Father, we're David. And we're the one who is suffering unrighteously at the hands of unrighteous people. And so, Father, whichever side of that we're on, may we have a godly perspective about how to uh, interact with that and respond. But, Lord, at the end of the day, may you be glorified. And we are so grateful for the grace of Christ extended to those people who believe in your holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, this is actually how we're ending the service today. Because <laughs> we had the survey and it was all kind of weird, we're just done. So I, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll see you next week. Goodbye.